Hello and welcome to the EMG Gold Podcast. This is your host, Courtney Jones, and today I am joined by one of the most influential and leading voices in the pharmaceutical industry right now, the Director of Clinical Trial Diversity Strategy at Bristol-Myers Squibb, Lorena Curry. For a bit of background about today's guest for our audience, Lorena has over a decade of experience in commercial-based positions and leadership roles, which have taken her from Mexico to where she resides now in New Jersey in the U.S. In recognition of her steadfast work championing diversity and inclusion, as well as improving representation of patient populations within clinical trials, she is recently nominated as one of People and Español magazine's most influential women. If that isn't impressive enough, she is also trilingual and a board member of the Organization of Women of Color in Pharma. Lorena is at the forefront of important discussions we are having about health and workplace equity, so we are so excited to have her with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Lorena. Thank you, Courtney. I am very happy to be here, and I hope that by sharing my story, others can be inspired and continue making change as well. I'm sure they will, and I'm sure change is just on the horizon. Thank you. For our first question, I wanted to know, your career actually started with a more commercial focus. What motivated your pivot towards a role within the areas of inclusivity and diversity? Um, I I think we need to start by the fact that um, my personal powerful why I joined pharma is because as many of us, um, serious diseases were close to my family, friends, and loved ones. So when I started back in Mexico in 2007, I, I, was, uh, I was having the firm intention of helping patients. And as you said, some uh, roles from um, the commercial organization, sales, marketing helped me grow. And I made my pace all the way to the region office uh, for Latin America and Canada. And it was there where I realized that um, the need for clinical trial diversity really has an impact on every patient. Mm. Um, so that and the fact that I've always been a people-oriented person, I was already doing uh, diversity and inclusion uh, roles as well. I decided to pivot my career because, you know, healthcare needs to work for all. And if we really want to achieve that, uh, we need to think about diversity from design. So I made it to my way uh, to Bristol Myers Squibb, where I am now the head of uh, diversity strategy. And um, I'm, I'm trying to, to help that we uh, recruit a patient population that is more reflective of the real world and aligned with the epidemiology that, that, that we are studying. No, fantastic. And I think you touched on a really important point there. And that kind of leads me on to my next question, which is clinical trials have a long history of problematic practices and subsequently have come under a lot of scrutiny. In your opinion and experience, what still needs to be addressed? Well, the need here is multifactorial, all the way from access to screening to early diagnose and to the lack of representation in clinical trials. Um, so this reflects that we need to find those operational strategies that truly ensure the clinical trial population reflects the real world and the epidemiology. Mm -hmm. We need to look at 
um, the where, right? Where are we running our trials? Where are the research sites that we are engaging with? We need to understand who. Who are our principal investigators? What is their diversity? How diverse and inclusive are their behaviors? We need to think about the what. What are we telling to patients, caregivers, community? Through the appropriate message and through the appropriate messenger, we need to be culturally sensitive. And we need to think about how. How are we designing our, our, our trials? Uh, how does this eligibility criteria looks like? The inclusion and exclusion criteria really reflects the epidemiology uh, of the population that we're studying. Uh, and through this is, is, is making this um, um, inclusive by design. And we also need to remember that partners are critical in this journey. This is a collaborative one. So mm. this complex issue uh, will require action and long-term commitments from everyone in the healthcare industry uh, because we have many areas to learn from and to improve. And so that that's a really interesting point to make that there's lots of areas that we can actually learn from. So I guess the flip side of the of my previous question is where have you seen steps being taken in the right direction in terms of cultivating more diverse representative clinical trials? It all starts by ensuring that the clinical trial population is reflective of the real world and aligned with the epidemiology of, of the disease that we're studying, right? Uh, and we have a role and a responsibility as partners in the life sciences industry to help address those inequities. And we saw it with COVID. Um, clinical trials gained a lot of airtime and so did clinical trial diversity. Um, I've, I have the privilege to work in a company that has been looking at this way before the pandemic started. And I can tell you that we won't stop. I won't stop. Mm. Let me give you an example. And um, this, this is more specific in the prostate cancer space. Um, just understanding the premise that prostate cancer uh, is 60% higher in, in, has a 60% higher incidence in black patients than whites for reasons mm. that still are unknown, right? Uh, however, within the US, the representation of black patients in prostate cancer trials has been as low as 4%. Wow. So <laughs> what we did, um, we, we, we put together a strategy with multiple stakeholders within the organization and, and, and strategic partners outside the organization. So we could identify sites that were closer and more available to the black community. We engaged with community outreach organizations and diverse advocacy organizations that help us bring the accurate message with the accurate messenger to their communities. And, and, and it was by going to fraternities, barbershops, churches, and sharing the right information on prostate health and on clinical trials. We also look very close at the cultural sensitivity of all of our recruitment materials, right? Um, at DMS, we have a very powerfully diverse and broadly inclusive culture. And we have a set of employee resource groups that are really, really good for us to engage with. And they helped us review our materials. And, and this is something that was eye-opening for us when they were looking into some of these uh, this, uh, 
postcards, they were very clear. You know, we don't reflect anyone in our family with that image that you're putting there, even though the patient is black. And you know, the words that you're using in, in that front page are not really going to bring any patient or, or, or caregiver to look into your, your material there. So oh, wow. they educated us and, and, you know, planted the seed of really being uh, culturally sensitive in what we were saying and how we were saying it. Anyways, um, these are some of the many things that we put together as, as, as a company to, to, to increase this and to, uh, to be close to, to those Black patients that we wanted to have the opportunity to participate in a clinical trial. And uh, we were able to increase that historically 4% participation up to a 17%. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and today, that is, we know that that is the minimum that we can do because if mm. it has like 60% higher incidence, we need, there still is more work for us to do. That is so impressive. And I think also speaking about minority communities, I know that something that's on many people's minds is that COVID-19 specifically is disproportionately impacting minority communities. And we're now seeing calls for, as you said, increased representation within clinical trial groups. What can this push for diversity and representation teach us for future processes? So in other words, how do you make inclusivity sustainable and long lasting and a permanent practice? Hmm. Um, the first thing I need to say here is let's acknowledge that those calls are still needed. And, mm -hmm. and, and as an industry, as an ecosystem, we are working as multiple stakeholders that are driven by patients to look into it. Uh, and this awareness needs to continue. Um, so what, what we know now is that collaboration inspires us, right? Mm. Um, and I can tell you that it is much more than a reaction because almost everyone has been impacted by this. Uh, and it brings us back to the fact that it's it's more than a moral imperative. It's also that scientific imperative um, that will that will help us continuously think about clinical trial diversity by design. So your point on how can we assure this is a sustainable approach. What we're doing at this time is we're building those processes. There is a lot of unlearn and relearn uh, in the clinical trial setting that we've been dealing with for uh, many, many years. Uh, there is a lot of change management. There is a lot of internal education. There is a lot of um, constant um, changes in the behaviors of everyone who are looking into this. And as a society, we've been able to achieve some some change, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, and we need to continuously ensure that this clinical trial population is reflective of the real world. And uh, yeah, always remember that partners are critical. This is a journey. This is a very complex issue that requires action and long-term commitment from industry leaders in multiple areas. And at this time, I think that we're all 
we'll be remembering uh, what brought us here. And uh, we're all looking to make this um, something that stays no? in, in the way that we work and approach clinical research. And I think what, what you're saying is really resonating with me and what you just said there about in the way that we work. So just to deviate slightly away from clinical trials, how would you recommend we go about assessing something like representation and belonging effectively within a business setting? Another very good question. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we are, we are an innovation company and what, that's what we are here to do, deliver transformative mm-hmm. medicines for patients. Yeah. So let's start from the premise that intentional innovation, intentional inclusion, sorry, drives innovation. Um, and I am a firm believer that the more diverse the workplace is, the more diverse the marketplace and the patient approach will be. So at BMS, we fostered an environment where everyone fields that can be heard and can speak up, that every voice is valued, and that diverse experiences are critical to take the best business decisions. Mm. Um, the people and business resource groups that I mentioned are a very good example, and we work very, very close with all of them. They've contributed not only with our community outreach efforts, but with that internal education and interventions that are so much needed to increase our cultural sensitivity. Um, And to all of these, back to the business, uh, we're also looking to uh, measure, right? How can we understand what progress and performance look like? And we have those metrics in place and, and, and we will continue pursuing this until we, we make sure that, um, that we can help address all these health inequities. Oh, that's so powerful. And I'm 100% confident that all of the goals that you have in place are going to be things that reached. And it just, it's really impressive with the commitment. And I guess like another question that I do have for you is that I know that you're a board member of the collective Women of Color in Pharma. And can you just share with us how your time with this network has shaped your perspective and your ambitions? This is a very personal one as well. Um, And I've always been people oriented and as a woman of color myself and as an immigrant, I understand that supporting each other is really important if Mm -hmm. we want to shape inclusive cultures and societies. True. I've always tried to pay it forward and help others succeed. And that's why I am all the way a registered movement ambassador and an active member of my town's diversity and inclusion committee. But as of WOSIP, um, this is an amazing organization that um, focuses in the pharma and life sciences industries, uh, which is the space that I am hoping to make an impact every day. Um, so when I joined back in 2018, I did it with a very selfish objective of increasing my network to, <laughs> <laughs> to learn more skills. And I had no idea I would receive so much instead. Um, since since WOSIP was created, they've established the, the, their priorities um, 
identifying the needs of women of color, right? Specifically black and Latina. Mm -hmm. in concordance with its mission. So they've helped me uh, strengthen my cultural and leadership com leadership competencies. Um, they also helped me uh, grow my leadership effectiveness, I would say, but they've been super, super helpful on reinforcing the importance of, of linking, you know, the, the, the emotions with the energy and the, and the levels of, 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 of self-care and leadership. So, all of this has helped me a lot, and and I am very grateful for that. And I will continue um, assuring that others have the same opportunity that I I have so far. I think that's great, and it's clear, Lorena, that you're making a ton of impact. Uh, you know, so I'm both incredibly impressed and very humbled, uh, not just with your answer just now, but just everything that you've said today. And I think that your commitment to progression, both for patients and for employees, is beyond inspiring. Um, so it's been a real pleasure hearing your insight and learning from your experience. Uh, so once again, Lorena, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with me today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Um, I hope everyone really feels inspired and together we can make change and assure that healthcare works for everyone. So thank you again. And it was a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. That's all for this week, folks. To our listeners, if you would like to hear more conversations like the brilliant one we had today, please join us again next Tuesday on wherever you get your podcasts for another episode of the EMG Gold podcast. Until then, take care and goodbye.